Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's, it's, it's just crazy today. I mean, it's so much, uh, so many challenges. I mean, it's just a different society. Uh, you know, you got a lot of parents working. They're not, you know... Uh, they're not home with the kids, and kids tend to get into stuff if there's no supervision. Uh, and 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 then it's just the environment that you grow up in. And and if if you kind of uh, acquaint yourself to uh, you know what's what's familiar to you, and if you grow up in a certain uh, a certain area where it's a lot of nonsense that go on with, all you know is nonsense. And so you know I, I continue to do this. Uh, you know, and try to create opportunities for them to get out because it's just, uh, you know, it's they don't have as much exposure. And so this is a, a avenue to uh, expose them to something that's different because, uh, like I said, growing up with me, it, it, it was just a different experience. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Impact Outdoors podcast. We are in the middle of spring turkey season here in Texas, and this week's show, we've got really close friend of mine mr terrence jackson on and terrence is probably one of the biggest outdoorsmen i know he's a true conservationist um, passionate about hunting and getting youth involved in the outdoors um, that may usually not have a, an easy path down that road and um, terrence is the president of our local nwtf chapter i'm a big part of and and uh, I've got to know him really well over the last seven or eight years, and we've become really close friends. And and you know we're we're uh, in the middle of a eastern turkey hunt during this this filming or of recording of this show, and and uh, had a huge thunderstorm and tornadoes all around us. So it was quite a quite a night when we recorded this. So, um, but uh, I hope you enjoy this one. This is a good one. We're going to do learn a lot about turkeys in texas and across the country and and uh hear a lot of terrence's backstory and, and uh, his upbringing what what created him to 
you know, or caused him to, to do all the amazing things that he's done in his life. And a uh, pretty cool story. Can't wait for you to check this one out. So stay tuned. All right, well, we're sitting here. Um, this is going to be a crazy podcast because we're sitting here in the pitch black dark. We've got two little camera <laughs> candles on the table. Uh, but welcome to the show. I'm here with my good friend, Mr. Terrence Jackson. What's going on, Terrence? How you doing, Derek? <laughs> well, we are um, over in East Texas hunting some public land for some turkeys right now and just had a humongous storm come blowing through and uh tornadoes all around us and all kinds of craziness and we lost power here at the cabin so um don't look like we're gonna have much uh for dinner tonight but uh good time to do a <laughs> podcast since there's nothing else to do so but uh anyway well, welcome to the show man yeah glad to be here i slept through most of that storm but <laughs> no i had to come wake you up when the tornado warnings kept coming on so it was pretty bad hopefully everybody over in jasper is doing okay tonight so we haven't been able to see anything on the on our phones or anything yet so about damage or whatnot but uh it was pretty bad so yeah yeah but um we've been hunting all day today we got rained out this afternoon um seen a few birds and uh it's tough you know public hunting public land and and uh easterns you know you put those two together and um it makes for quite an adventure so yeah yeah that's kind of what you get out here it's it's not as many birds but it's they the ones that's here they do get pressured a lot so yeah. uh yeah it can be pretty challenging yeah uh, you know and uh right now with this this corona thing going on you got more people in the woods on opening day um usually when we come out here it's uh it, it usually falls on like the 22nd of the month uh, of April or it used to be the 15th of the month mm -hmm. and whatever day that falls on. So anytime it was a weekday, the opener was on a weekday. It was pretty right. good. You didn't have as many people out there. But yeah, not that, this year. Yeah, getting out there now, it's, a, it's just a lot going on. A lot of people in most of the good spots where you know it's birds at. So uh, been been pretty challenging so far. But uh, like I said, we've seen some signs. Uh, hopefully this rain clears out so in the morning uh see what happens yeah it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting because uh the roads are gonna be horrible so i mean it literally rained probably four inches in about 30 minutes so um flash flooding and, and uh but uh we've got some spots we're gonna go check out so hopefully we'll get lucky and uh at least see some birds or hear some birds tomorrow i'll be happy with that you know even if we don't get one so got a couple this season runs for three weeks yep, i think it ends what, may 14th or something like that this yep. year so it's a pretty short season um yeah it's crazy because uh you know i was planning on going over to my deer lease over in the hill country and and um with all this corona crap i'm gonna say going on man our our landowners won't even let us come over there not and i don't blame them at all um but uh you know that that's been, you know that sucked not yeah. being able to go over there. You know yeah. I look forward to this every year going open open a day over, over to hunt some rios over there and who are usually seventy five percent of the time they're going to play ball with you. You know most yeah. of the time you know rios if you've hunted rios I mean you know they're they're probably the most talkative of the subspecies of the of the wild turkey in North America. So, yep, yep. 
that them rails uh like i said we went out there uh and, and it was a lot of stuff that was just shut down we were supposed to have been in new mexico this spring right you know our youth events uh was canceled because of corona mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and uh Looking so for that every year yeah yeah a lot of a lot of stuff got shut down so uh, like i said our plan was to go this year to chase new mexico miriams uh and when the south texas opener uh came then you know i made a quick dash out there a few of us went uh on a little uh, track out there and i mean just like and it seemed like all of these opening uh days is <laughs> these openers yeah. has been rain yeah you know went out west and it was a uh, quite a bit of rain out there uh still saw some birds and uh think that uh the second day of the opening weekend i, I uh, managed to take one and i was awesome. looking yep yep so i was looking forward to getting out here uh you know, I've been fortunate to take uh, several bears out of here on this national forest, and uh, was looking to get out of here. Just wasn't expecting what we uh, ran into today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we got wet. <laughs> yeah, real wet. <laughs> real wet. Yeah. So I think our decoys were swimming. <laughs> yeah. Coming back up the hill. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things when you walk in two or three miles and something like that happens because it was clear when we went in. The radar was clear and. Uh, you know, we lose reception where, where we were going, but I don't think we'd been set up maybe 10 minutes in the first clap of thunder, and 10 minutes later, it was pouring, so. Yep, and it set up in a nice, pretty spot. I oh, thought, yeah, man, man, we was going to, like, <laughs> the birds would come running in through here pretty quick. You know, we was close to spots that we've known them to roost in the past. Yep. And and sure enough, I'm like, I'm thinking I'm hearing clucks, and <laughs> nope, <that's laughs> I'm hearing lightning crackle, yeah. So. so but yeah i mean i love coming out here i've been coming out here to east texas with you i guess this is probably my third year i think and i've come third maybe fourth, I, I, fourth. i've come close a few times man i mean yeah. really close to getting a bird i still haven't gotten one and i was really hoping this was going to be the trip to do it but uh hopefully tomorrow but it is nice just to be out of the house thank god for my wonderful wife <laughs> allowing me to yeah to, Leave her and the kids for at least, you know, a couple of days to get up here. So, um, it's been fun. It's been good, even with all this craziness going on. So, but, um, but man, I've been wanting to do this with you. Um, you are, I met you probably about, so six, seven, Somewhere. probably about seven years ago. It was, yeah. right, it was the year before my daughter was born. And we had made plans for me to come and help out with one of the turkey hunt, youth hunts that y'all mm-hmm. did. Um, you're the president of um, Har- uh, Harris County Wildlife Group of the uh, NWTF. Okay, and um, and then <laughs> my daughter decided she was going to come ten weeks early, and so yeah. that scrapped the plans to help out with the youth hunt that year. And um, but since then, I've been really trying to get involved, you know, with with our group. And man, um, this group, out of all the ones that I know going around in Texas, I mean, really strives on doing events for youth. And especially, you know, the way I see it is kids that wouldn't have an opportunity to get out in the outdoors. There's a lot of kids whose parents are really outdoorsy in Texas and, and allow them that opportunity. But, you know, and that's one of the things I wanted you on to talk about, you know, why that's so important to you getting these kids from, you know, inner city Houston and just kids who've never been outdoors involved, you know. I mean, where does that come from? Does that come from your upbringing? You know, I mean, how did that all start? You know, I mean, you, you grew up in a little towns um malakoff malakoff yeah. texas yeah grew up in malakoff and uh kind of that's 
that's just the way uh, it started at a young age. I was a youngster uh, growing up in Malakoff and uh, you know, we'd always traipse through the woods and uh, run around and picking blackberries. And so it was just kind of a different childhood for me yeah. uh, for that portion of my life uh, when my great-grandmother was living. That's uh, I stayed down there with her. And uh, after she passed, I was back in the city, back in Fort Worth. Uh, but yet I still had that uh, upbringing and, and love for the outdoors with me. And so uh, I was growing up in Fort Worth. And I I just loved animals, loved wildlife. So mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, I create I t- created a uh, a wildlife <laughs> a reserve or something in my grandmother's backyard <laughs> in the middle of the city. I had a I dug a pond. I had a duck pond oh, and it with wild ducks. I had a actually wild turkeys that I ordered from a a, a hatchery. They roost on the power lines. And so I mean, all how the kids. How old were you when you ordered the turkeys? <laughs> man, how old was I? I mean, it's been so long, uh, man. I must have been about maybe twelve years old when oh I ordered gosh. the turkeys. That's but awesome, yeah, yeah. And and when I had the ducks, I'm, I I must have been in middle school or something like. Huh. That. I must have been in the. I don't remember, but uh, I knew I was in the paper back then with 4-H Club, and they had me to bring some of my ducks to, to class, some <laughs> mallet ducks. And and so you know, I just always had that kind of stuff. I wanted to be around it because that's what I grew up around and uh, right. grew up around wildlife. I mean, kids felt like they was in the country in the middle of the city. Yeah, I had uh, blackberry vines, all kind of stuff growing. I had blue bunnies growing in the backyard, wild plants, and 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 animals. I, I even tried to put fish in the pond. So mm-hmm. that's just the kind of stuff that I just uh, wanted to create the environment I loved being around at that age. And so, you know, kids in the neighborhood would come and uh, hang out and want to see the animals. They felt it was probably like a zoo experience or something for them because they yeah. wasn't around that kind of stuff. And then, you know, it was little places outside of Fort Worth that I grew up uh, uh, that, that I would uh, run around through. Uh, and, and like it was hills and, and it was a little creek that wasn't too far from us. And so I'd go hike in those spots. And so a lot of the kids would come and just the experience that they had, they had an adventurous life because I mean, I had a cousin that told me not too long ago talking about we had a heck of a childhood because of you and, and talking about that, you know, they need more, uh, uh, needed, their nickname for me was 90. <laughs> <laughs> and they said we needed more uh, uh, 90s. Uh, where are all of the 90s at? Because uh, uh, none of uh, n- there's no one that kind of created the experience that they had uh, when uh, when they were growing up like I did. Because I just take them to places like that, take them fishing at ponds, nearby ponds, cattle ponds uh, that was uh, close to us on the uh, south side of Fort Worth near Everman. Or, or to the creeks and stuff and walking up in the hills and stuff. So we do that kind of stuff. That's just, mm-hmm. that was me. And so people gravitate to me because of that, you know. And so um, that's just always just been what I was about. I just love that kind of stuff I always had. And so um, as I got older and I moved to Houston, and uh, I just started sharing that with uh, people. You know, uh, you got a lot of kids that don't get exposed to stuff like that. And uh, all they know today is video games, TV, tablets, yep, <laughs> and, and 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 a lot of them don't get to get outside and experience uh, the outdoors. And so that's something I just wanted to share. Uh, you know what I've done for years, what mm-hmm. I learned for years. You know, I uh, I was probably at, at a young age could identify just about any plant. You know, uh, knew what was edible, what wasn't, uh, any animal at that time, and so. 
that was one of them I'd spend a lot of times at even at that age I was a little different because I'd read up on that stuff. Yeah. And so uh not a not a uh typical kid. No. By any means. No. No. And so it was that type of stuff that kept me out of trouble because believe, believe me, it was a lot of, uh, growing up in Fort Worth, it was a lot of that around me. It was a lot of it uh, that would pull at you. And, and mm-hmm. I know the challenges uh, that a lot of kids face. You know, a lot of that is it, just so easy to get caught up in stuff because a lot of people want to fit in. Uh, a lot of the kids want to fit in and, and the sense of belonging. And so they end up falling into situations and then with the wrong crowds and stuff. And so, I mean, I was familiar with that. It, uh, it, it was people that I knew and used to try to, uh, you know, get me to hang out and stuff. And I was never comfortable with. I just what didn't have any interest in any of that yeah, because none of, of that nonsense. Yeah, yeah, because of my passion for the outdoors. I mean, mm-hmm. I was always gone, taking time away yeah, from doing that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you know, why everybody wanting to hang out, then I'd rather be exploring up in the in the uh, hills and in the woods and looking at little plants and. And, and stuff so i mean that's just i always wanted to be outdoors i loved yeah. it and so uh you know it, it's just something i wanted to share i knew it was one of those things that kept me out of out of trouble and and it, it's it, it's just some things that uh you know if people experience it then you know you want to give them the opportunity to make that decision if it's something that they get into you know it's a few kids over the years that we've taken on some of these events and now they love hunting you know, right. they love being outside. And, you know, you got some of them that go on, uh, the majority of them, they, you know, go on when they get older and start, you know, looking at uh, girls and, 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 and boys and, and hanging out with friends, and they drift away from it. Mm-hmm. But you do get a few. You win a few. Yeah. And, and they develop a passion for the outdoors. So. You can usually tell. I mean, when you go, when you do youth events, I mean, you know, you can tell the kids that really take an interest but there's also sometimes the ones that you don't think are really paying attention and, they and then you find out that they do and yeah you know, they reach out to you afterwards or something like that and yeah like, we've had that happen yeah you know and uh, yeah so do you think it i mean comparing the time when you were growing up in fort worth as a kid i mean how different you think it is working with these kids today your upbringing during that time and and the things that they're facing now it's 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 just crazy today i mean it's so much uh so many challenges i mean it's just a different society uh you know you got a lot of parents working they're not you know uh they're not home with the kids and kids tend to get into stuff if there's no supervision uh and 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 then it's just the environment that you grow up in and and if if you kind of uh acquaint yourself to uh you know what's what's familiar to you and if you grow up in a certain uh a certain area where it's a lot of nonsense that go on with all you know is nonsense mm-hmm. and so you know i i continue to do this uh you know and try to create opportunities for them to get out because it's just uh you know it's they don't have as much exposure and so this is a, a avenue to uh, expose them to something that's different because um like I said, growing up with me, it, it, it was just a different experience. I grew up uh, with people. My great grandmother, uh, who I was raised with, she she was born in 1913. You know, those people. There was, it was a different era. It was a different era. Yep. You know, a different mindset, a different attitude back then. And I was fortunate to be raised by those kind of people. And then, you know, these days you got a lot of young parents and their upbringing was different. And you know, a lot of busy families, busy parents, and and so. 
you know, it's back then it was about family and, you know, it was being around, you know, family and you had people to teach you stuff like that and take out the time to teach you. And now, you know, and I understand, you know, today my wife and I, you know, we're pretty busy people. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you got to make time. And, and it's a lot of families that's, you know, they, they don't get those opportunities to make t- that kind of time and spend it with the kids. Uh, and, and when kids grow up, you know, unsupervised and they become teenagers and start getting interested into the things that teenagers get interested in, then, you know, if, if then you, you that's kind of where you run into things. They're exposed to so much these years and stuff that I wasn't exposed to. You yeah. know, back then when I was coming up, it was, it was, it was crazy stuff. I mean, it was stuff that I, I was uh, around that I'd witnessed that I'd seen, you know, that mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want my kids around you know, or to have to experience, but it's, it seems like things are more prevalent these days and it's the upbringing. Uh, and the, the availability yeah. of things. I mean, you know, we're yeah. about the same age, so I yeah. mean, you know, we grew up in the same, you know, not necessarily the same neighborhood, stuff like that, but I mean, you know, I went to a large high school, we had a lot of issues, I mean, we had gang problems, yeah, drugs, yeah, yeah, sex, all yeah. kinds of craziness going on, Absolutely. throwing at you all the time, and, and you know, kind of the same thing you did, you know, I mean, I was like, I'm not going to be a part of that, Yeah, I'm going to find stuff, I've worked since probably before I was legally allowed to, you know, yeah. multiple jobs and and all I want to do was go fishing. Yeah. That's all I wanted yeah. to do. I spent every dime I made on fishing. Yeah. You yeah. know, every day I could and, and uh learning how to better myself on that and Yeah. And uh it's so scary now. I mean, we both got two kids, we both got a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. And these kids now, I mean, I've gone and done some outreach at some schools and stuff, you know, the last few years and I'm talking like middle schools, and every kid in the dang classroom has got a cell phone. Yes. And I can't believe they're allowed to even have them. Yeah. And have them on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's they're crazy. sitting there taking pictures and video and texting people, and I'm like, this, yeah. this is, yeah. should not be, yeah, it's should crazy. not be allowed, but it's it, the times have changed, man. I mean, I don't even know how to teach math to my daughter because they teach it so differently now. Yeah. And, they do and just the availability of, of the digital age now and like you said there's so much more stuff these kids are going to get overwhelmed and bombarded with you know yeah i hope that we can handle that when our kids get older when they start really yeah exploring different things yeah so yeah because my goal would be you know even raising my kids i mean i, I know at, even at this age i know they love the outdoors and being outside and so my goal would be to uh do more of that stuff with them and even you know as they get older come on some of the events that we do but you know like now i'm I'm, you know we got our family property in east texas and i'm doing stuff there that i uh, that would be a benefit in the future you know i've Mm -hmm. uh, i've uh, planted chestnut orchards and 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 wildlife plantings and stuff like that that i hope in the future i can take them out there and to experience picking uh nuts and and harvest and stuff and just spending time outdoors and seeing where their food comes from probably the only person in texas growing chestnut trees right (laughs) i couldn't couldn't believe it i mean when you when i first mentioned you were talking to me and my wife about that and uh and, and didn't you guys um, you got invited, was it in Arkansas or whatever? The- yeah, Ozark Chinkapin Foundation. Uh, and they actually, I'm on the board now with Ozark Chinkapin Foundation. Awesome. 
and so uh basically uh the Ozark chinkapin it's a it's a native species of chestnut if anybody's ever heard of the american chestnut and the story behind it the american chestnut was wiped out they they grew east of the mississippi uh all along the east coast from maine to florida and and uh and so yes and it was they was they made up most of the forest on the east coast it was the most important timber tree they used to call them redwoods of the east because they grew up bigger than oak trees and they was huge and and so but every year they produce a mast that's what people in the united states don't know what a chestnut is most people uh because uh, as as other countries because you go to uh, china asia uh europe all of those other countries they uh, uh, chestnuts is an important staple over there a lot of those people they're pretty popular and they import you know millions of dollars worth of chestnuts to the u.s in in the in the fall during the holiday season because all yeah, we know is the song chestnuts by the fire <laughs> chestnuts <laughs> roasted on an open fire but because of in in 1904 uh it was a uh, somebody brought a Chinese chestnut that was imported uh, and planted it uh, somewhere near the Bronx Zoo and it had a blight on it, the Chinese chestnut. They introduced a blight that by 1950 it wiped out 4 billion trees. Yeah, it's crazy. Talk about a pandemic. Yes, yes. And so now you still got surviving trees. It's, It's like all of those chestnuts that was killed off years ago, the blight still lives in the forest. It lives in oak trees. It just don't kill them like it did the chestnuts. Uh, the American chestnuts didn't have a resistance to uh, this blight fungus. And so in the in the, far, in the forest, you have stumps that have been growing from the same root system of chestnut trees for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, and every time they reach a certain age, some of them might produce a few nuts, then the blight will kill them back. And so they're funct- uh, they're functionally extinct for the most part. You get few nuts, so they're still existing. But that was on the East Coast. So in here in Texas, East Texas, uh, all the way up into the Ozarks, we had uh, a, a variety of chestnut called a chinkapin. It's a smaller mm-hmm. nut. And so uh, you know, I got into that stuff because I planted them. You know, I planted them for wildlife. That was one of the biggest attractants that you can plant for wildlife. Uh, they'll pass up a white oak acorn to eat a, a, a chinkapin or a chestnut because it's a sweet nut. People like them. Yep. And so, uh, you know, we uh, one of our youth events that we did, we planted chestnuts. The first time that we did a youth event in East Texas, we planted chestnut trees uh, for wildlife. And so that's one of the things that uh, uh, we started doing our research. So my passion for wildlife and wildlife habitat and creating habitat, it uh, got me involved in studying that. And so... I, my grandmother's 89 years old, and she told me about chinkapins and, uh, back in the old days when they used to pick them and eat them. Mm. And so most people don't know what a chestnut or a chinkapin is today. Yeah, most people wouldn't know. Yeah. Probably heard of a chestnut, but yeah. definitely not a chinkapin. Yeah, yeah, and a chinkapin is just our native version. It's a smaller mm-hmm. nut, and it's two types in Texas. It's a bush form, that's an Allegheny chinkapin, and it's a, a tree form, that's an Ozark chinkapin. They suffered the same fate as the American chestnut, but the organization that I am now a part of, the Ozark Chinkapin Foundation, they're breeding resist. They're finding resistant trees that still live in that got resistance to the blight and crossing those trees to build up that resistance to put them back in the wild yeah. for wildlife. And so it's stuff. That's just the kind of stuff that stuff fascinates me. And so I, I've got involved in that stuff. So I share that stuff, uh, you know, from hunting to to plants and and stuff like that. And so. 
uh, here in recent years, uh, we with this turkey uh, reintroduction. You know, I've as a part of NWTF, I've worked with um, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife on the turkey restoration program also, mm-hmm. and uh, I've uh, like some of the sites that were uh, established. You know, some of those are friends of mine. You know, and uh, they they uh, I kind of gave them the. Uh, details on how to get the uh, co-op started and I put them in contact with Jason Harton who's the Texas biologist over the state turkey program and so uh, they they basically established some of these co-ops and the sites passed and they had turkeys released on there and so 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 let's let's back up just a second because some people may not I guess know what we're talking about so we're specifically talking about East Texas yes so, you know, if you hunt if you hunt turkeys in, in the U.S., you've got Rios, Easterns, Osceolas in Florida, Miriams, and a small pocket of Goulds down in southeast Arizona and southwest New Mexico, I yes. guess. Um, you know, in the Easterns or in the eastern part of the United States, you've got Rios running right down the middle, and there's, you know, some mixing in between there, and then... And then the Miriams are kind of a the mountain bird, right? Yeah. Kind of the yep. northern and, and west western bird. And, mm-hmm. then, and then the Goulds are kind of a desert almost, mm-hmm. an arid climate bird. But So I guess just kind of explain kind of the history of what happened to the eastern turkey in Texas. And then out of that and conservation and exactly what we're talking about, habitat, why the habitat's so important. You know, and this is all going to funnel into what NWTF is all about and all mm-hmm. that, but kind of explain that on the Easterns for us. Yeah. So at the, at the turn of the uh, century, you know, uh, in late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, you had settlement in, in a lot of areas. And so the logging industry was a, it, it was a big thing. People are getting settled and uh, a lot of the land and a lot of the forest was logged uh, around that time. So it used to be thriving populations of uh, eastern wild turkeys in, in, in Texas, in East Texas. Uh, and and then when you get past what's now the uh, I-35, well, heck, now I-45, I-45 uh, yeah. you know, it, it was Rio's. Mm-hmm. And so the with the work that the NWTF's been doing, it, the uh, the ranges have expanded now. But uh, at the turn of the century, you know, with settlement, it was it used to be market hunting, where you know that back then they was shooting up to twenty five turkeys a day, you know, and and there was no regulation. Yeah, I mean, so, know if I've seen twenty five easterns. Yeah, yeah, and that's now that's what you're dealing with. Yeah, and so uh, you know, so back then it was just uh, the the amount of birds that was allowed to be harvested, uh, the habitat changing with settlement. And uh, so most of what people see now in East Texas, most of the forest is like uh, it's uh, second and third uh, generation forest. These are young forests. East Texas used to be an open place with big old trees, mm-hmm. hundreds of years old, and, and more of a grassland. Because uh, you might have a spot now where it's an acre with a thousand trees, all of them packed up tight on that acre, as opposed to back in the day. Uh, you know, it may have been uh, 50 big trees that was humongous, 
and 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 the grassy understory. And back then, when the uh, landscape was like that, turkeys thrived in East Texas. It was mostly pines. You had or? well, the further East Texas, uh, the further east you go was pine. Uh, uh, but when you get in areas like where, where we do a lot of the work, uh, and where our place is, it, Anderson County, it was mixed woods. It's, it's uh, the western part of Anderson County. You start to run into some of the post oak savannah, but it's yeah. it's a good mix of uh, uh, mixed forest, uh, hardwood and pine where, where our place is. And so and that's where some of the stockings, the super stockings for wild turkeys have happened. So uh, over the years, like I said, the, the numbers had dwindled, I think, in the early 1900s. So by 1940, it was like estimated less than 100 turkeys left in East Texas. That's insane. And so uh, they finally started trying to implement stuff where they, uh, you know, put a season out to try to, you know, regulate. Now that we don't have any, yeah. let's stop and <laughs> yeah. rethink the situation. Yeah, pretty much. You know? Pretty much. But then the logging, and the, the thing boils down to habitat. So... When you log over everything and all of the big old timber, everything that's growing back is young, thick forest. If you've ever cut over a track track of land, and when it grow back up in five years, it's just a thick mess. Yeah. You've seen it, uh, and so usually after about five years, five to ten years, it may start to open up a little bit, but it's still a lot of underbrush and thick stuff. And so, uh, one of the things that we're doing uh, in some areas now, we're educating landowners about a habitat mm -hmm. uh you know because uh like i said over the years they've been trying to restock eastern wild turkeys in the eastern part of the state and some places have uh, been successful like where we're hunting now you got a some yeah. uh, fairly decent populations of birds where it's a huntable population uh and it, just a few pockets most areas of east texas didn't fare so well and it was a different type of stocking that they did back then it was called block stocking and they would re release maybe three tums 10 to 15 hens per site mm -hmm. if you have poachers or predators kill up all those tums you ain't getting any kind of reproduction yeah. but and and so with the habitat that's where the habitat comes in as an important role when east texas is growing back real thick like it was uh you know and and it was easy for predators to trap uh, uh, to stalk and trap turkeys you know turkeys rely on their eyesight they have uh, the greatest eyesight <laughs> in the woods they do and, and, and uh so they relied on their, their hearing and their eyesight and so uh when you got a thick area that's a mess if you don't want to walk through it and it's too thick for you to walk through a turkey show don't want to walk through it mm -hmm. and so uh with most properties in east texas they're not managed for turkeys you know with these young forests and so uh we're trying to educate people on you know prescribed fire because back in the old days you know that's kind of how the land was managed lightning strikes uh the native folks that lived out here they knew that if you burn an area then a game would quickly come into that area because it would green up almost it's, while it's still on fire yeah yeah that's what's we've seen that turkeys yes yeah, absolutely in there while it's still burning Abs looking for bugs and stuff absolutely matter of fact one of the landowners in in the co-op uh that that we've established he just burnt he has about 640 acres and he just burned about 415 acres uh back in january around the first of the year immediately after he burned he started seeing turkeys show up that's crazy he and, and you would think just common sense everything's getting out of the way getting as far away from that as i can and it's like the 
turkeys are almost just waiting, um, waiting to get in there and, um, um, yeah, our power's off. <laughs> One of the campers up here looking. So, um, but yeah, they're like immediately in there looking for food. I mean, it's crazy. And, yeah. And, and I, you know, and, and like I said, that is the key is habitat. You know, we talk about that. And there's certain species that are very diverse in habitat that can survive about anywhere. I mean, you look at white-tailed deer, um, you know, animals like that, you know, and, and you've got fish like redfish or catfish and stuff that can pretty much go wherever, you know, and survive and not, you know, completely dependent on specific habitat types. But, yeah. But turkeys and, you know, and our good friend Chester Moore, he's like always said, you know, what's good for the turkeys is good for everything else. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. So, yeah, you get the habitat right for turkeys. Uh, uh, you know, everything else thrives. It benefits from it. Uh, because, like I said, uh, it it opens up the woods. It creates uh, when you do a burn on your place, and and, and it's, it's different ways to manage your your habitat. A lot of people are scared of fire. Yeah, you know, and and so that's what we've been trying to do is educate people. Uh, but uh, on prescribed fire, the use of it, and and uh, the after effect uh, after some after someone's done a burn on their place. So we've been having a few landowners uh, finally get into it. I've been sending videos and information for the last several years to landowners and stuff, trying to uh, get them on board. And now we got a lot of people that's doing it. And when they see some of the other landowners doing it and what the property looks like afterwards, and they find out that it's funding and, and stuff available to help with that, mm-hmm. then is you got more people that's willing to jump on board and do it. And, and a lot of people want to see more turkeys, in the, in the area so right now with the the new stocking program that uh, parks and wildlife has uh you have to pass a uh, habitat uh, uh suitability evaluation and so they'll come out it's a uh, it's a minimum i think for a site to be approved it's a minimum of ten thousand acres uh either you can get a lot of landowners on board and you are all of you guys come together and agree to manage the habitat for turkeys or if you can find a, one large landowner with right. that amount of acreage and they're willing to implement prescribed fire mulching something to open up the, those forest understories and so uh, when you do that and you open up that forest understory it mimics what the old forest used to look like in east texas it was, it was more, more of an open forest and so that's what we're trying to reestablish because that's where turkeys are going to thrive when it, we've hit some areas out here where the hunting used to be excellent and mm-hmm. over the years it's grown up and now yeah. it's kind of you don't see there. much they move to yeah. the to the better areas it's a spot that we're we're hunting now we started hunting last year and you know we passed by it a lot and and they usually burn all the time it's always open when we see it but uh, the turkeys like openings and disturbed areas and places where they can get and they can always pay attention to what's around them especially eastern turkey he's a spooky bird and he, mm-hmm. he, everything scares him if the wind blowing and stuff moving they always on alert yeah so uh you want to have the right kind of habitat uh to get turkeys to thrive you know you got to have good brood habitat where you know it's 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 forest understory where it's grass or ferns or something that's uh about two feet high 
so the poults can hide in the grass and the hens could nest uh bugging areas where they can it's open and they can go and find bugs and stuff to eat you know where when it's real thick and a lot of vines and a lot of mess you just uh they're gonna avoid that they're gonna stay out of it because the the bobcats can uh prowl and that stuff and jump out and ambush them the coyotes everything else everything in the woods is looking to eat a turkey including us so so you know you just uh you want to make sure that the habitat is right so that's kind of uh that's kind of been the problem getting them reestablished in East Texas all this time. You know, it's it's been uh, just no habitat. And when you trap them in areas in other states where there's plenty of turkeys now, where their stocking programs were successful, you're trapping them and you're bringing them here. Now there's been enough research done that where they're not going to release them on the site if you're not managing it because mm-hmm. they're paying 525 bucks per turkey. So we're actually, and, and I know this, but I mean, for everybody else, I mean, these super stock sites that Parks and Wildlife's doing, they're actually getting birds from other states. Yes. And bringing them in. What are some of the states that they're getting these birds from? Uh, uh, North Carolina, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Iowa. Is, I mean, just several different states that uh, have uh, uh, Missouri. Uh, they've just kind of made agreements, you know, and, mm-hmm. and where, uh, you know, That's we. so cool. Yeah. Yeah, because some of them just got an abundance of it. Their uh, stocking programs have been successful, and so they got a lot of birds. It's a place in uh, uh, North Carolina where uh, the turkeys are becoming a nuisance in the area, and they're on the airport, uh, on a on yeah. a flying strip, and they're a, a, a risk. So they're allowing a lot of those birds to be trapped and transported here. And, and so they do this uh, habitat uh, suitability test, and they come out and they check it out. They see what's been done, make sure that it's good brood habitat that is opened up. And, you know, a lot of times it's a two-year process uh, at least. And then uh, once you're approved, then you might get birds released. They come out and do the uh, evaluation in the spring or early summer. And uh, if you get approved, then they'll that following winter they'll start uh, releasing birds. And they do like 80 at yeah, a time at, at least like at, at least 80. It's been sites where it was closer to 100. You know, but uh, it's it's at least 80. And so it's some sites in Anderson County because the western part of Anderson County is kind of that transition area mm-hmm. where it's uh, post-Oak Savannah. And they uh, felt like that's where Easterns and Rio, their range kind of overlapped. Yeah. So places like Gus England Wildlife Management Area and some of the private ranches around there, they released 80 Easterns and another 80 Rios on each of these sites. Yeah. And so, I mean, they, and they've been doing well, you know. They, Are you they got, hybridizing? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they're getting a lot of hybrids out there, and there's a lot of people in the area starting so to see a lot of turkeys. tell when you, I mean, if you shot a turkey that was a hybrid between the Eastern Rio, I mean, how easy it is to know. I mean, because turkeys are very similar. I mean, usually the fan colors on the feathers is what kind of gives them away. But Yeah, and even if you've been hunting them a while, even the gobble, but... You know, I've never shot a hybrid, so for yeah. me to for me to know, but uh, you know, so right now they got both, they got hybrids and they got pure easterns and they got pure rios out there right now because they stocked the birds 2014-15. So some of those original birds are still and they're t- and they tag these birds. They usually all have a, a leg band on yes. them, don't they? And then some of them I know. Our friend Kyle, the biologist there, Gus Engling, they've actually got radio collars on yes. several birds they tra- track with telemetry and stuff. Uh-huh. 
Was it last year or is it the year before that they somebody harvested one of the birds that was released over there? Because it was like, wasn't it that, shot like 90 miles away? Yeah, that was last. On the was other that last spring? It's I think a, it was last year. Yeah, I think it was last spring. Uh, trying to think because I was on my way to uh, on another hunt somewhere and my friend uh, Brett Jepson sent me the, the image because it's just coincidental. You know, I know Brett... Uh, and he guides up in that area, and one of his hunters uh, on one of his on one of the properties he manages happened to shot shoot this bird in Ellis County. It was released in uh, Anderson County. It crossed two major freeways, <laughs> and, and a whatever, bird. yeah, yeah, two major freeways, and, and just miles away from that release site. I guess he figured he didn't like like East Texas. He was a Rio, and he wanted to be back to some drier country, and so he made his way back uh, northwest. And it just shows you how far these birds can move. Yeah. I mean, on average, they probably walk 5 to 10 miles a day just grazing, and, and uh, yeah, he just kept on going. He was like yeah. Forrest, the Forrest Gump of the turkey world. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and if he'd have stayed where he was, he wouldn't have been in somebody's uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> frying grease. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, and it, yeah, they are uh, fascinating. Like I said, it's it's been a lot of reports. Um, you know, Jason Hartens, he he's told me like some. I think it was one hen that traveled must have traveled like fifty or sixty miles from the site, and then came right back to the site. Yeah. She had a collar on her, uh, and and they saw where she went, and she she got way out, uh, way off somewhere, long ways. And made a beeline, came straight back to the site, got out there and said, I ain't doing this, and went back to safety. And and so it's been a few of them, and, uh, you know, some of them have got hit by cars. But overall, you know, the the program, the super stocking program has actually been working. I mean, yes. it's a lot of. It's uh, been real success. Yes, yes, it's been a lot of uh, repopulation going on. And so that's, that's kind of the thing. That's what they're, uh, what they've been working on and doing. And so habitat is the key. You yeah. gotta have some good habitat, and, and so. That so how how long um, have they been doing that program here? The super stocking program uh, started back in and well at first, like I said, the stocking program they started doing that. Yeah, the block uh, yeah, that was uh, what seventies, eighties, early nineties. So I uh, just wonder if we're seeing more success now because we have so many more options to see like game trail cameras and things like that and doing the radio callers and and things i mean the cameras by far every i mean if you hunt you've got multiple cameras for the most part you know and you can see birds and all kinds of wildlife wildlife that's what you're using them for but i mean you know, it's very easy to tell how successful these things are being now because of those things. Yeah. You know, and back in the day, I mean, honestly, if you didn't see them, you didn't know, I guess, if they were there or not. Yeah. And, and you know, it was research going on. It was people in the woods and stuff. And mm. one of the things that was bad in East Texas, besides the habitat, was, you know, you had them poachers the out there. The East Texas boys, they, the they just, if it's brown, it's down. East Texas <laughs> road hunters. Yeah. Yeah, so they they get them, you know. Albert, who uh, hunts with us, he's a, a retired warden, and you know he now he loves turkey hunting. He's addicted to it, but you know he uh, and before he uh, got on board with us, you know he was just used to checking turkey hunters, and he had a lot of cases in East Texas against yeah. people poaching uh, turkeys. 
and but uh yeah that's just kind of what it was and this is just a lot of people with that mentality you know they ain't got the mindset to just want to see something thrive so you can hunt them on a regular basis they just take every opportunity to shoot whatever they see and so that's why the super stocking program is different it's important uh it, you know it's a large track of private land that's mm -hmm. managed the birds are, uh, you know, for the most part, supervised. Now, Turkey, you can't control where he goes, but on uh, on these co-ops and or uh, in some of these private tracks, ain't nobody going out there to poach them. Yeah, you know, on the land, on the actual land itself. Now, if they get off, you know, and wander, you know, I had a, a co-op member uh, in, in our area near the Natchez River in Anderson County, and she was telling me, you know, she saw some turkeys uh, near her place. And uh, she was saying there was a, a, another land on the state nearby. And he was like, well, why didn't you shoot it? And she's like, we were trying to get it. She, she, he was like, well, I would have shot it. And I'm like, well, as soon, as soon as you hear him or know that he shot something, you go and let me know. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's going to get reported. Yeah. So, uh, you know. because like knock on your door. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just, she was, she called, she didn't want to say who it was, but she said, she was bothered by him saying that. Cause she yeah. said, Is there any way you can just get a game warden to ride through the area? She didn't want to point out who it was, but just say, just so it would be a presence there and tell him, can you just get him to ride down this road a, a few <laughs> times ever so often and stuff? So, and she said, I like the guy. I just, you know, right now I don't want to say no names, but if he shoots something, then I'm going to have to, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so, uh, Landowner mentality. Yeah. Like a lot of that is, you know, it's on my property. Yeah. I'm going to shoot it and I'm going to eat it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've been around that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just no thought of if if, if I protect them, it'll be a lot of them and I can hunt them on a regular so, basis. Yeah. So what's the end goal with the stupor stock sites? Because these are closed areas to hunting. Yeah. You know, so like where Gus Engling's at, that area, I mean, we're all just salivating, waiting for that to open up. So, I mean, yeah. these areas potentially going to, these counties like Anderson and, and um, what Cherokee. county is Gus England in? Ch uh, Gus England is in uh, Anderson, and, okay. and then it's, it's just south of Henderson County. Henderson so, County. all of those areas run uh, Anderson, Henderson, Cherokee counties, uh, and, and, and Trinity counties are some of the areas, because that area is in the uh natchez river that's a natchez river priority area so it spots along the natchez river where they're looking it's two priority areas i think it's the uh the uh the sulfur uh, watershed uh up up in the north northeast texas and then natchez river watershed in southeast texas and and these river these watersheds they act as a super highway so most of these sites is strategic uh, where they're trying to release them in these priority areas and, and they're hoping that the birds thrive and they travel these waterways mm -hmm. and colonize other areas around uh, uh, and, and so that's the plan with it anyway and so it's actually it, it's worked because when they first tested this super stocking so they really reinitiated the super stocking program in 2014 with Gus England and one of the private ranches nearby but they tested the super stocking uh, program out in 2007 2008 and anderson county was one of those counties where they tested and it was a place called bobcat ridge it's, it's uh it was paper company land once upon a time i think they sold it to one of the uh, wildlife agencies now to be protected uh but uh it was basically like i forgot must have been 70 something thousand acres or whatever of managed timberland mm -hmm. and 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 so they released these birds out there and, and 
they've thrived over the over the years. I mean, Jason Harden was talking about they went out there some years back, and uh, they hit a turkey call out there. And you swear you was on the on the uh, Alano River or something where Rios yeah. are out west. They said just the whole river bottom just lit up with gobbles all the way up and down the river, you know. But it's it's just so many birds that's out there all these years later. You know that was ten years later after they tested that, uh, you know, and they went out there uh, and started trapping and tagging birds to do research. And so that's one of the sites. Just a few other sites. They've had minimal. Uh, uh, you know, so they've had some uh, reproduction and, and birds are still thriving, but that was by far the best, uh, Anderson County. And so a lot of those release sites here lately have been in Anderson County. A uh, friend of mine, uh, after Gus England, there was a friend of mine uh, over in Brushy Creek that's to the west of Gus England. Uh, you know, he was approved and they released a bunch of birds on his site. Must have been about 89 birds, 89, 90 birds that got released. And... The first year, now this is, before this was unheard of, because typically, and one of the things Jason Harden let uh, tell you is, don't expect too much out of the first year as far as reproduction. And that first year, and I don't know, Gary is a praying man, maybe that got something to do with it, but uh, that first year, I think by the summer, they must have counted uh, about 40 chicken-sized poults, oh, wow. 40 or 45 chicken-sized poults in one of the big groups. Everything worked great that year. Then. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, and so, and I think the year after that, he might have saw 19, but the birds have been probably dispersing and moving into different mm-hmm. areas, too. You know, so he, he's still seeing a lot of birds. And so, uh, you know, it's it's been, Anderson County has just seemed to be a great spot. It's in the Piney, but that, that's, in that area, it's like a lot of mixed forests, and it's like a lot of the other states you go to. That part of Anderson County is gently rolling hills. It's just a different uh, a different type of area, but the birds have done well. Uh, a lot of oak trees, a lot of hardwood bottoms in that area, and they just they love it, you know, and been they've been thriving. So it's been probably that county has probably received most of the super stockings. Anderson County, Henderson County, uh, Cherokee County, all along on on the different county lines in that area. That's probably received most of the super stockings. So, so that you know we we can talk about habitat. So one of the <laughs> one of the crazy things about turkeys are they spend a lot of time in the trees um you know they sleep in the tree they roost in the trees you know they say they roost roost in a bird these birds live up in the trees away from predators right and turkeys can fly a lot yeah. of people don't think they can fly yeah. let me tell you they can fly and they can fly a long ways for yeah. a 20 pound bird flying through the air yeah. and uh um but the crazy thing is you know is and why the habitat's so important is that the the hens nest on the ground. Yes. And so susceptible to predation of the nests. Yeah. And uh, what are some of the animals that, that really key in on, on terrorizing the hens during this time in the spring? Yeah. This, so, like I said, that, that's one of the most uh, critical times and one of the most dangerous times of spring nesting and for a hen. And so, uh, 
you have all just about anything in the woods that that likes to eat meat <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or other creatures is 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 after turkeys basically, and so uh, you know you you have your, your bobcats, you have your coyotes, you have your raccoons that are they're terrible, and and you know Texas we have a hog problem, <laughs> we got so see. yeah we got a lot of hogs. We've seen so, a lot of that problem yeah, today. In the yeah, woods. exactly. And so they'll root up, and they'll find a nest and root that stuff up, uh, and and eat the eggs. And sometimes they're just bad at rooting. If they don't, if they don't eat the egg, they'll just disturb the nest where other yep. predators will smell them. Uh, uh, and so, you know, but one of the main culprits, and you know, everybody, you know, yep, coyotes get their share, uh, bobcats get their share of nesting birds, uh, you know, the raccoons. But one of the main culprits that most people don't realize is the American crow mm. is a terrible nest predator. And they'll pester the heck out of a hen till they run off that nest and they'll peck open the eggs after she's gone. And and so most of the nests doing certain research were destroyed by crows. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, crows are terrible. I've seen a bunch of them today. Yeah. They wouldn't shut up this morning. Yeah, they're yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So, but like I said, it's everything out there is at the turkeys. Now those hens usually they can hide and that's pretty doggone good. Yeah, they're pretty uh, stealthy. Yeah, yeah. And I've yeah. I, I've even heard owls uh snatching hens off the nest at night if they see them down there moving on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, great horned owl can see at night and he sees something down there moving, he go down there and snatch it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've flushed a few coveys of quail walking around. At- at my wife's family farm up in Missouri and stuff, and 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 even here in Texas, and it will scare the crap out of you if you're not prepared for it. And uh, but I've scared a couple of hens off their nest just hunting, you know, walking. And let me tell you, you see a bird that big up flying off the ground right next to you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I almost stepped on one one year, and I'm walking out with a gobbler, and I'm trying to come down the hill. And I just <laughs> scared the crap out of me at my feet. <laughs> and then she got up and she just glided down in the bottom uh, a good ways off. And she had six eggs in there. So she probably wasn't just sitting per se. Because, uh, you, you know, turkeys, they'll lay from eight to eight to ten eggs in that nest. And so uh, she probably, uh, she may, may have come back. So Jason Harden said, you spook an eastern turkey off the nest. They... Uh, a lot of times won't come back if they've been sitting and, and you bust them off mm. the nest as opposed to a Rio because the Eastern is more of a spooky bird. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I was hoping that she came back. This is but, the same thing when you're growing up kids, you know, it's like, don't touch a bird's nest, you know, eggs or whatever, because that mama's not going to come back. You know, that's what I was always told. Yeah. 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 So that's, mm. that's been kind of a, that's kind of uh, been the thing, you know, and uh, he, he actually told me, like I said, when we're, hunting out there you know try to stay on the outskirts of some of the burned areas to prevent that and, and so i i try to do that now I try not to traipse through them I- anymore because after i've done that a couple of times and, like, eh, and I, I was concerned about that so uh but most of those burned spots a hen will usually nest in the where it's mature, mature forest cover but uh, it's like two foot grass or ferns under the understory mm-hmm. where they can kind of look up and see where they're uh, around them when they're nesting, so that's the important part. You got if if you want to see more nesting turkeys, you just got to have it's going back to that habitat, and usually a, a prescribed fire 
uh, sometimes mulching, uh, though, but really fire is the best tool. That creates a type of habitat where, you know, you'll, uh, you'll get more nesting turkeys. And uh, like I said, it, with that open forest, you know, if, if something, a predator, something does get close to a nest, she can bust off of it and just fly straight, just straight off of it yeah. in more open woods. But if there's a lot of thick stuff around, she, if it's a bobcat, she's getting snatched out there. If she get tangled up or anything, mm -hmm. uh, uh, breaks her flight. So, uh, you know, that's uh, the importance of good habitat. You know, uh, a bobcat or a coyote, they, uh, it's pretty hard for them to catch a full-grown, healthy turkey if it's in good habitat because they're going to see them long yeah. before they get close. But if it's a bunch of thick stuff and nasty stuff, then, you know, that uh, really reduces uh, the population in the area once it starts to get thick or either the birds are moving to an area where it's better uh, better habitat. Mm -hmm. How many times have you been hunting and had a coyote or something come up oh, on your decoy? I, I've had I this know. happen several times. and Yeah, I, I don't even know. I don't it come to the calls, not even just a decoy. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, we I, had I, one do that here last year. Yeah. We came to a call when me and Chester were hunting. And uh, we were hunting up in Oklahoma one time, me and my buddy Chris, and if he listens to this, he'll definitely remember. Um, we were sitting back to back up against a tree, had decoy out, and all I got was about a split second warning. I got a nudge in the back and then the boom of his shotgun. And I turned around, there's a coyote laying about two feet from the decoy. Wow. <laughs> and uh, he's like, man, I, I kept watching. He just kept coming down the road. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had, I, um, I shot one over on my deer lease two years ago because he was getting ready to deflate my, uh, my Avian X decoy. Wow. So it was either him or the $80 decoy. Yeah. Yeah. And anytime you see him and you can get a shot, you know, it's, it's probably good because predator control is important also. Yeah. You know, we when we do the youth event at Gus England, that's one of the reasons that started. Uh, we had that predator control segment because that gave trappers the opportunity to come out there and set traps, you know, mm -hmm. and try to catch some of those predators out there, raccoons, coyotes, you know. And over the years, they've caught a few things, you know. Uh, one year, they, the first year they came out, they caught a bobcat. Uh, after that, you know, they've caught several coons. Uh, now, I don't think, they have yet to catch a coyote where the kids get to see yeah. something like that up close, but they did get to see a bobcat one year. Uh, yeah. Most of the time it's coons and beavers and stuff now. Cause that, the cute stuff that everybody yeah. loves that really, really tear everything up. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I remember, was that two years ago when they caught the coon along that creek? Yeah. And I remember the kids' reactions because I knew what was getting ready to happen. I mean, he's getting ready to dispatch that animal. Yeah. And, uh, the reaction from the kids was priceless. I mean, they, you know, we were murdering that animal. I'll never forget that, you know, hearing those kids because they didn't know what to think. They didn't know why we were doing it. And by the end of that trip, they understood yep. why predator control is so important, you know, and a raccoon is a predator, yep. you know, and, and um, you know, hopefully they'll keep that, you know, and be able to to relay that to somebody else you yeah know, growing up, yeah right? where people ain't talking about y'all murderers all the time because i mean it's yeah. it's just kind of a circle of uh, of life it's and a lot of things where people don't realize these days you know people don't think you know hunting is ne a lot of the people that just don't understand it don't think it's necessary and stuff like that but uh, that's all wildlife management you know the the back in the day 
you know, and people when people had to, you know, hunt for, just to survive, you know, it was more vast, wild places. Now all of that stuff is shrinking, mm. and so the little pockets that you have left, you you, you got so many animals that's condensed in those little areas and so in some of those areas you got a lot of predators and so management is needed in some of those areas just like in some of those areas there's too many deer Mm -hmm. and now texas we got the pig problem is pigs everywhere there's pigs running downtown houston yeah (laughs) yeah so i mean you got complaining because man all these animals are in my yard is that well they tore down their habitat yeah and you know when pigs will go anywhere i mean we've got pigs in my town yeah yeah, I mean they they're We're crazy. In the city. Yeah, and people just don't understand that. And so, you know, you got uh when you got an overabundance of predators, it affects everything else. Your turkeys, your rabbits, your quails, uh you, you the number of those animals go down when you got too many predators. And then, you know, and and like I said, now the pigs they're just multiplying and and heck, and it's rare, but heck, pigs can be dangerous. They can you be know, really dangerous. Yes, yeah. I heard there a lady. Was a lady that was killed. Yeah, yeah that's what he was getting her to say. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, right down to the south of us, you know, and and she she got chewed up by a bunch of pigs. So I mean, this I heard of a, a few years back. It was a, a a kid trying to feed some. It's probably nothing in my mind scarier than being out in the woods at night and coming up on a hog. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, I mean, it's happened a couple times to me, and I've been by myself, and it's been after dark, and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> then, yeah. terrible. And then, then things get big. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, we don't have monster, monster pigs over here in Texas, but, I mean, we've got two, 300-pounders are pretty common, and uh, that's a big pig. I mean, the biggest hog I ever shot, I think weighed 260, and um, we, had, uh, we had one of those uh, – Hog logs. I know you know uh-huh. what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. where we have like a piece of PVC, and you drill a couple holes in it, you fill it full of corn, got on a chain, put it around mm-hmm. a T-post, yeah. and the pigs will come up and shake it around in a circle and knock the corn out, and they'll feed. But the cool thing about that is, is you can hear it from a long ways away, so if you yeah. got them set up in the woods, mm-hmm. and if you're if you're a pig hunter and you don't know what this is, look it up. Just look at hog log or whatever on YouTube, and you'll find it in a very effective way to draw pigs in and they usually stay there all night till all the corn's gone yeah so we had a bunch of those things set out and we would just drive around turn the car off or truck off and just listen and you hear that and you knew there was pigs on it and i remember we had one set up by our cabin at this lease i was on and it was like 11 o'clock at night and i heard it one of the guys was in the shower and i sit in there reading a book or something and I heard that through the screen door, and I peeked out the door, and we had a, a pole with the solar-powered light above it to illuminate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And it's about 400 yards from our cabin door, mm-hmm. and I, was, I could see those three gigantic pigs. There's two black ones and a white one. I didn't realize they were this big, but anyway, I told him, I was like, I'm going down there. I'm going to go shoot one. <laughs> sure enough, I went down there and, and shot the white one, and uh, 260 pounds, that was a... It's a giant crazy. sow, but I mean, it's crazy. I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this several times on this on this podcast, but one pig can do so much freaking damage in one night or day or whatever. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, you've seen what we've seen today. That was probably just one or two pigs. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, destroy that whole path. Yeah. They cause millions and millions of dollars of, of damage, especially the farmers and stuff. On our place, you know, I plant these chestnuts and these chinky pans, and 
one year I direct seeded a bunch of chinky pins. I came back and I mean every everything was rooted up and then pigs are smart. I told them this at those art chinky pin foundation meeting. You know, when we plant uh nuts or direct seed nuts in the ground, then everybody recommends using what you call a tree tube. It's a plastic mm-hmm. container with holes in it that's supposed to protect them. So I did that. And everywhere I had a tree tube, the pigs went to the tree tube and rooted under it because they figured out they associated that tree tube with a nut yep. being up underneath. They went to every tree tube. Instead of just rooting through a whole area, they just walked and went to every tree tube and rooted up under there and ate every nut <laughs> under the tree yep. tube. So, you know, they... they and that's They are so smart because if you shoot one pig, you know, you know, I have a sounder. That sounder's usually gone. Yeah. And they won't come back for a while. And yeah. Another one will show up. That's the way it is on our lease. You know, you shoot one out of a group, and he he'll go to the other side of the ranch. He won't come over to that feeder anymore. Yeah, or they'll vacate the premises and move on, and then another one because we usually have two to four sounders mm-hmm. on our place at all any given time. Yeah, and um, and that's why I guess the most effective way of getting rid of them is is trapping them. Yeah, and um, we got yeah. to see that firsthand last year yeah. too at our youth event. You know. Yeah. What do they call those traps? The uh, drop the down Jaeger, traps. Jaeger Pro. Jaeger Pro. And and it's and they they they're pretty smart, you know, because they even get you know trap savvy, you know, and some of them won't cross a threshold into a trap. So it's it, you know, sometimes people use those Jaeger Pros because it doesn't it's, it doesn't nothing show any ground. kind of yes yeah, nothing down there, and so and I've seen some Jaeger Pros where it's just gates that are dropped down. But it's no threshold, and they hide brush on the sides mm-hmm. uh, so they can just kind of funnel through to get to that feeder, and then they drop it down. But uh, the traps, those old-fashioned traps that people use where they got to cross over that uh, lip yeah, of that gate. Push, push. Yeah. They, a lot of pigs, if they see another pig's trap, they won't do it. Yeah, they won't, they won't cross over. So they are smart. They get educated real Some quick. Some of those, like the push traps, you know, where they got a root underneath the gate and get into the feed yeah though if there's another pig in there they're so freaking smart they usually wait for another pig to come in and then yeah they go out yeah <laughs> the gate up yep yep yeah it's a smart animal but it, like i said they cause a lot of damage mm. a lot of damage and uh good thing is they taste good yeah <laughs> I mean, we just watched on the news today you know that that tyson's shut down their their major pork producing facility and we were like well i guess if we run out of pork meat we'll just go shoot one pretty much i've I've still got half of a pig in my freezer but so yeah but yeah well we're getting back to turkeys yep um i know my favorite way to introduce people to hunting is through turkey hunting and i remember the first time um i really got to go turkey hunting um the interaction level with the bird you know, it's crazy. I mean, you are talking to this bird, you know, using different types of calls, whether it's a pot call, a box call, mouth call, um, whatever. But I mean, you are luring that bird into you, and you and you really and it and intrinsically a turkey when the male turkey calls, right? He's wanting the female to come to him, right? And so. You know, it's it's a it's a game. It's a struggle I'm trying to get that tom to come into you, the mature male, you know, and um, figuring out how to do that and stuff. Man, that was just so exciting. I mean, that's the only thing my wife's ever went hunting with me and actually said she wanted to shoot 
And by yeah. God, she went and got one the next year. Yeah. And um, but um, man, just you know, people are like oh, white-tailed deer, blah 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 blah. I love deer hunting, but I could care less, man. When it comes to the hunting turkey, I could do it all year. <laughs> Me too. All year with spring. Yeah. That's all. I would yeah. be happy. Yeah, that's the only thing I'm concerned about. And if I had to make a choice, because at this point in my life, I ain't as mad at the whitetails no more. <laughs> so, but turkeys, that's that's my number one. I, I have to do that. It's just something in me. I got to get in turkey woods and, and, and chase turkeys. And, you know, I'm No pandemic going to stop us from going turkey Exactly, turkey. exactly. The same thing with my wife. You know, she, that's right now, you know, she harvested her first bird on a double draw ranch, uh, couple of years back and you know she enjoyed it you know she actually wanted to before this pandemic hit where she ended up having to work from home and the kids was at home she wanted to go back out west uh with us on the place that uh uh mike and i just just bought out there yeah. to get her another bird but uh like i said she that's something that she enjoys now too but you know for us that's been at it for a long time but yes yeah, it's, it's the interaction is just nothing like it uh I, i've heard a lot of people compare it to now i've never been elk hunting yet you mm-hmm. know I, i'd like to go one day i plan on it one day but uh they just talk about the interaction where you're talking to the animal yeah. and it's it's something to get the heart pumping but like i said turkey hunting is, is nothing like it i you know i've uh, killed a lot of rios i love uh you know rio hunting rios out west and and you know that they'll lay out talk to bird and just the interaction with them but uh out here is a different ball game in East Texas, and you know you you get out here and it's not a, yeah, as many yes, not as many easterns. Here. And the first couple of the first couple of years that we started taking birds out of out of here, uh, I called in a bird. Uh, he must have came in about eight thirty between eight thirty and nine in the uh, in the morning. Never made a sound, but that forest is so open out there. I saw him for uh, heck, I don't know how far he was. He was way out there, a little speck. Look like a road runner, and he come running in, and he he saw the decoys and strutted the rest of the way, but never made a gobble, never made a sound, and so harvested him when he got in range, and we went and checked him in at the check station back then, and I had a, another a guy with me, a friend of mine, so he'd never been turkey hunting, and that was his first time, and so he wanted to get into it, and so I took him out there with me, and we went to the check station, checked my bird in, went back out there about twelve o'clock. And set up, and about one thirty, he had I called in his, his bird, and and that bird came in quiet too, not a sound, not a peep. You man. never would have known they was out there. So they come in quiet. The following year, they were gobbling their heads off. Yeah. And I was hunting with Albert. Last the, year they were gobbling pretty good up here. When yeah. We were here. Yeah, they were gobbling. This year, nope. Yeah, nothing this year. And so you know, it's, it it just varies, you know. And uh, over the years as I've hunted out here. And when we, when they had the check stations, you know, when we harvested those birds that didn't make a peep, we'd meet other guys at the check station, and they was hunting different parts of the forest, and the birds where they was hunting was gobbling their heads off. So it just varies on where you are, mm-hmm. you know. But, uh, you know, uh, that following year, after the, we took those two quiet birds, then me and Albert set out. And, I mean, by 9.30, we started hearing gobbles in the distance, and started calling to them, and heck, I mean, they were so hot, they come in, and there was two of them gobbling at once, but that was the first time I just had interaction with the Easterns gobbling, and mature Easterns, you know, full, grown, old, long beards, like three-year-old birds, and I ain't never heard nothing like it, that gobble coming through the piney woods at you, it's, it's amplified, yeah. you think a Rio is just loud, that high-pitched guy is amplified, 
I mean, and they ain't scared of chills down your spine. <laughs> yep. When you yeah, hear it. yeah, we jumped because we thought they were right behind us. That, that, but they and it was a good distance. But that it just just amplified through the woods because we both jumped, me and Albert. And so they came in strut. It was a strutter and it was a uh, the dominant bird and it was a less dominant bird. It was two of them, both of them nice long beards. And come into the decoy setup strutting, and I, I took that one bird and the other one just flew up in there and, and landed and was just looking around. And and Albert, I'm like, he's around the tree and, and shoot him. And Albert was scared to move. Where he at? <laughs> Where he at? And he peeping around the tree finally. And by the time he finally peeped around the tree, the bird had done walked off. Yeah. I'm like, you could have just eased around that tree and shot it the way he just sitting there, you know, walking off. Because the funny part, you know, back then it wasn't as much pressure as it, as it is now. And I don't think it would have bothered him much to see just a little something moving as long as it wasn't coming towards him. Right. He, he could have got that bird if you'd have been sitting. You could have got that bird. I mean, uh, like I said, so it it was just uh, some pretty good hunting back then. And that was one of the years where we had just some good interaction with Easterns. And I never just really had them gobble at me like that. And it's totally different from hunting Rios when you mm-hmm. they're gobbling through the timber. And like I said, the year after that, you know, we came one year and we had a bird. I think that was me and you calling and we brought some people with us and somebody kind of, uh, one of the people we allowed to come kind of busted our hunt. Oh, it, man. No, that's the closest, probably the closest <laughs> I've come to killing one out here, too. I was probably like less than five minutes away from shooting that bird. <laughs> yeah. And the the guy had basically, he was trying to shoot him from under you, probably. Come walking yeah, down the street. Yeah, but I mean, that happens. You're hunting public land. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen, who's out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it sucks when somebody in your own group. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so after they all left, and I think it was our last hunt, we decided to stay that e- to that evening, do an evening hunt. And, uh,. I went way back down into the back where I started hunting all the time after then. And, man, I must have heard about three or four gobblers down yeah, in that I bottom. you telling me that. And I was disgusted because I had to leave. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I made a trip back, like, just before the season closed. I think it was May 5th I came back and, and uh, couldn't get enough because I didn't want to come by myself then. And I mentioned, like, a week before, you know, trying to tell people I'd probably go. And and so uh, it was last minute, so could nobody swing it uh, then, uh, like the day before. And so I went on, came by myself, and I sat out there. I was just getting ready to leave. It was quiet that whole morning. I called, and I was out there getting sleep, and I'm like, okay, I'll get up about 11 o'clock, about 11.30, I'll get up and move. And I think a little bit after 11, and I hit that call one more time, and that gobbler was right behind me, down in the bottom, scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and he was following a hen, and and uh, the hen came up. She came to the decoy setup, and then he kept gobbling. And then I was, I just turned the gun towards the decoy because I knew where he was going. And as soon as he saw that decoy, he came at it and started trying mm-hmm. to whoop him. And that was the last mature bird that I shot at it. So that was like three years in a row. I was, uh, you know. Uh, having some pretty good success out here then uh we came out the year after that i think i came out with caught we was videoing the hunt for parks and wildlife uh that following year and i passed on a couple of jakes that we saw and a- after that the rest of that trip we didn't see anything yeah you shot a pig though didn't you yeah i shot a pig out there yeah. and mr tv <laughs> nah <laughs> but 
<laughs> but uh but yeah so that year didn't didn't see anything we heard some uh more gobbles and stuff but just that was a hard year the year after that was really hard you know because over the years it's just been getting to be more pressure out here it seems like more people are getting into turkey hunting mm -hmm. which and is a good thing it it's a good thing uh, so you know well, but it sucks too. Yeah, I had to say it. <laughs> yeah, you have limited so, limited availability. Exactly, of these birds exactly, hunt, so. exactly. That's why I'm working so hard to try yep. to get them in, uh, get them released near near our place in in Anderson County. So I at least yeah, I go just hunt go them to your place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and and heck, I I'll know so many landowners out there. I always tell them like, well, the best way you can pay me off is invite me turkey hunting when we get a season. Yeah, you know. So, uh, but. Yeah, so that's just kind of the thing. I mean, I love hunting national forests, just the big woods, public land. But it, 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 over the years, the pressure has just been getting uh, pretty pretty tough. Like I said, I got a bird last year out here, so we'll see what happens tomorrow. Well, hopefully uh, one of yeah. us will get one tomorrow. Yeah. At least see one. Yeah. You know, I seen a couple today that caught me off guard. and uh, <laughs> You know, you always kick yourself in those situations. I had pulled up to a spot, a new spot, and I mean, it was wide open. And I'm out in the middle of this, on top of this knob, and I was like, I'm just going to get out and call down into the bottoms all around this knob. And I walked maybe 30 yards from my damn truck, and there's a little divot in the terrain behind some brush, a brush pile where they'd clear cut this area and push some in. And out walks a hen about 50 yards in front of me, and about Five seconds later, here comes two strutters right behind her, wow. you know, and I'm like <laughs> wide open. So I just froze and I'm just like, well, I don't have my gun. <laughs> All I've got is this box call. And if I throw it at him, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to hit him. <laughs> so uh, I just waited until they finally walked off, which seemed like it took forever. It probably took about five minutes, but the hen, I mean, there's nothing around me, me and my truck, you know, the hen just kind of looked at me and. Just kept on doing her thing and fed off, and the toms never even paid no attention to me. They were kind of half strutting and and just followed her. And I mean, as soon as I got out of eyesight, man, I I hightailed it back to the truck and grabbed my gun and pack and took off. And shoot, them birds were gone. Those yeah. things move so fast they when do. they're feeding on those open areas. But but um, I think I heard one later. But man, it was so windy this morning. It was blowing twenty to thirty up on up on top of the the pines and the makes it hard to hear yeah which is fairly typical during turkey season you know in the spring but uh yeah but uh so how so tell me how'd you get involved with nwtf and how'd you end up being president of the harris county group so um this was years ago when i was looking for uh some spots to hunt turkeys i'd been you know uh researching the different national forests. I've been to several other national forests. I called up a bird back when we had a season in, in uh, uh, Walker County. Uh, I was on the Sam Houston National Forest, and I called up, uh, I could tell by the gobbler, it was a jake one year, and he never would come out and open to give me a shot. That's I was in college back then, and uh, so I'd leave from the uh, campus and drive out there and go, yeah. and, and go hunt. And so uh, basically, uh, and we lived off campus, so uh, so I I was I kept my I had my guns in the little place mm -hmm. where we were staying. So, I, but I did hunt while I was uh, going to school. Some, so uh, I 
started looking around for some other spots because it was hard hunting back then on public land and so uh i called a lot of times and talked to some of the forest service folks and i uh called and talked to jason horton way back uh about you know just in, in some of the nwtf biologists and uh and they were just kind of telling me stuff i'd always get pointers and place to places to go and the questions i'd had about it back then for me it was always research and i was always looking and stuff and uh you know learning about the habitat where they was uh where there had been stockings in the past and where it was a turkey season and so i just started reaching out to some of those guys and i uh, i got to know some of them and so uh I'm trying to think was it scotty parsons who used to be the nwtf biologist or uh or was it i don't even remember who it was and they told me it was somebody from the nwtf i was talking to and then they told me about a chapter that we, I think I must have reached out to one of the regional directors or something at the time. Mm -hmm. I think back then we had Paul Farrell as one of our regional directors. And uh, he told me about a chapter that they were starting and, you know, getting involved with that stuff. Uh, and they were start, starting one in Tumball at the time. And so I started going to those meetings. Yeah. And back then it was a friend of mine named uh Jess Widener. He was the president and we we were called the Tumball Tums back then. Mm -hmm. And so uh you know at, we held our first banquet. We started you know uh having uh, those meetings and stuff. And after that I think Jess with his job started getting pretty busy. Paul had uh left and started working uh for another organization and we had uh Charles Stocksteel, who uh, who's now the MDF uh, regional director, but he was the NWTF Mule Foundation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he uh, he uh, reached out to me. We was working together. He reached out to me and basically uh, uh, talked to me about be uh, keeping the chapter get together and becoming the new president. And you know, and a lot of the ideas that we started, you know, recruiting, growing the chapter, and some of the stuff was doing, they came from Charlie. You know, and, uh, you know, so he, uh, we talked and he, uh, we come up with some ideas to kind of grow, start growing a chapter and get more people involved and stuff. And, and, and so we started out, you know, extending hunts in some of the places where we go, cause I'd been hunting the grasslands in some other areas, some, uh, Ome Corps land up in, near Hillsboro, mm -hmm. uh, and stuff. I'd been hunting Rio's for a long time. And and I hunted Easterns for a long time, but it was just always a hard hunt. I'd never killed them back then. It was uh, just a, a so so long, so far back, you know, uh, so many years of hunting and and trying to chase turkeys. So I started connecting with the people that could give me a little bit more info, and so that just was my first uh, step with the NWTF, getting involved with the Tumball Tums chapter. And then when Charlie asked me to kind of. Uh, regroup the, the that chapter and so uh, over time we had another uh, regional director young guy named Brett and, and uh, he basically uh, we kind of was brainstorming and uh, we didn't want to just be limited at the time to turkeys because we, uh, we wanted to go broader with all wildlife and fishing because people just do different stuff not everybody knows you know yeah. about turkey hunting so we decided to change the name to Harris County Wildlife Group the with the name that kind of encompass all mm -hmm. wildlife and, and, and just uh, catering to Harris County, all, Houston, all of Harris County, all surrounding areas. And so, uh, you know, we just started doing stuff like that, uh, uh, hosting things, hunts, 
inviting people on hunts with us. We would go up to the uh, National Grasslands in uh, North Texas uh, uh, and some of the other national forests. Uh, we'd get on group hunts with some of the contacts that I had. And so, you know, when we was doing stuff like that and we was really active once upon a time, I mean, we started growing. And then, you know, I got back to the youth stuff, uh, you know, because I'd been looking for a ranch, you know, to uh, to take some kids hunting. Uh, and uh, a guy that used to be involved with his name, uh, John Miller, you know, he's uh, he he's, he's still does a lot of stuff with uh, uh uh, parks and wildlife with the Texas Youth Hunting Program, yeah. and so he's he's got you know I think he's uh, not as involved now as he's gotten older. He does stuff, but I think uh, Ransom runs a lot of that stuff now because uh, due to some health related stuff. But uh, he knew somebody that had a lot of land, and so you know uh, he talked to them about doing youth hunts. And so my thing was just getting people outdoors back then. We started out with new hunters, new hunter recruitment. Then we start, then we started extending that to the youth. And, you know, I'd already been doing stuff with youth in the past, so I wanted to get some of them on some of these hunts and stuff. And so, you know, uh, I just wanted to do something creative with the chapter and the NWTF to, to bring awareness to the NWTF, but funnel it through all aspects of wildlife, like fishing. Some people, a lot of people fish. Most people know somebody that likes to fish and stuff. Or a lot of people, when they get into hunting, they start hunting deer or pigs or squirrels or rabbits. Right. So, uh, you know, we wanted to try to create several different opportunities. But I wanted to grow that chapter because the way I feel about it, anybody that's you know, hunting turkeys and, and most uh, game, you know, I feel like you ought to get involved somehow with some of the organizations that was responsible for getting the numbers back to where they are, getting huntable populations. And so I was trying to do stuff and come up with creative ways to get people involved. And so we started planning uh, to grow the NWTF chapter because I had become the president after Jess Widener had uh, gotten uh, really busy with, with his job. And so uh, after we changed the name, the Harris County Wildlife Group, like I said, we just started doing all kind of stuff and getting people to get more people involved in hunts, uh, fishing trips, uh, camping trips, all kind of stuff we just started doing. And so, uh, like I said, and me, I just started really, uh, uh, I'd already kind of been working for my own uh, uh, studies of trying to find places to turkey hunt. I'd already been kind of working with some of those guys uh, like Jason Harton, and back then had a grad student named Jason Isabel. I think now he's up in Missouri somewhere over the mm. turkey program. And so I just kind of got to know a lot of these people uh, that was responsible for some of this stuff. And uh, like I said, but uh, just now, I'm, as I've learned, as I've connected with these people, I, I, that's one of the, and as I try to get more people in the outdoors, I really try to emphasize and get people to get involved uh, with these organizations that help yeah. uh, them to uh, enjoy the benefits of hunting, turkey hunting. Uh, Groups that hunting. make an impact. Yeah. You know, and and, and that's that's a cool thing about NWTF. They're not just about turkeys. I mean, yeah. They're about habitat that will help every species in the woods, you know, and all these millions and millions of dollars they use to go straight back into um, partnering with state DNRs and, and different you know, NGOs and, and government groups and and uh, really putting money back into habitat restoration and conservation and education. Absolutely. You know, and, and um, it's the 
the job of all these chapters all across Texas. I mean, I don't know how many chapters there are in the state. I know there's a bunch, but yeah, um, you know, every I'm pretty sure every state in you know the continental United States has got NWTF chapters in it that put on banquets, and that's where all that money's going to. Yeah, you know, and and if you've never been to a banquet, an NWTF banquet, a, a Ducks Unlimited banquet, a CCA banquet, whatever. You know, those things are a blast. Yeah. You know, and, and and we can plug ours right now. It's scheduled for, barring the corona, uh, what, August 7th or 9th? Yeah, 7th. Supposed August to be the 7th. 7th, so we'll see. So, and hopefully by then we'll be back to, to normal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're in Houston, you know, we'll we'll put the link up for, for that on the show notes and stuff. But um, August 7th, it'll be downtown Houston area. And, um, man, I mean, get good, good dinner, you know, live auctions, a blast. Our auctioneer, um, he's a wild, he wild guy, <laughs> wild and crazy man. Yeah. He's funny. He's the best at it and can't crank. And, uh, um, you know, he's, <laughs> he makes the night worth, worth yeah, coming to exactly. just for that. And, and, uh, but I mean, you know, Mule Deer Foundation, all these groups, do so much good and to give back and, and help all of us, all yeah. the people that enjoy the outdoors. Exactly. You know, and, yeah. and, and, um, you know, one of the, so what, just real quick, cause we're, <laughs> we're going a little long on this one, but, yeah. um, what are some of the ways that youth can get involved through our group? So, I mean, we've got a couple of different things that we normally do throughout mm-hmm. the year. So just mention those and then, and then, um, how they can find out about them. Yeah, so, uh, uh, and we'll uh, post links on, on our site, and, you know, Derek, uh, share some info later. But, uh, like I said, we uh, we have a, a fall event. Uh, we, we try to take some kids out on the pig and squirrel hunt and, and, and allow a little fishing on, on Jason Harden's place uh, out in uh, East Texas. Uh, we we had to cancel our event this uh, this spring in Gus England because of the corona thing. But, yeah. you know, uh it's usually we, the weather. Yeah. Not yeah, this. yeah. Yeah. And so, so like I said, uh, we, we, we try to schedule several different events. A, a, a year. Those are both what, two, three day events. Yes. Yeah. About yeah. three day events. And, and so, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll post, put out a lot of info about it, but, um, you know, they can e- email me, probably email you for more information and, you know, yeah. we'll have dates and stuff firmed up as we get closer to, to those events. But those are the two main ones right now. Uh, you know, we, we were talking about getting back, uh, doing another, uh, turkey hunt. Uh, but, uh, like I said, right now, uh, the things that we know that we do is the, the, the pig and squirrel hunt slash fishing trip. And then the education event at Gus mm-hmm. England. And, uh, then we'll do an essay contest, uh, in the, in the fall. Contest. Yes. The essay <laughs> contest in the fall where you can win a deer, all expense paid deer hunt yeah. at the double draw ranch. Yeah. So uh, that's we already did a podcast on that from last year's winners. We were yeah. at that in January and with Gene and, and the kids. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So like I said, we always have something going, and, and it's just so many landowners uh, that you know they open their places up to us or uh, some of these agencies, and just it, it just depends on uh, what kind of opportunities open themselves up. So. Uh, what we'll usually do is post them on our uh, Facebook page, uh, Harris County Wildlife Group, NWTF, on Facebook. 
you know, anything that's coming up, we try to schedule them on there where you can see the upcoming events. Because, right. uh, like I said, there's always opportunities available, uh, you know, where we'll try to make something happen to get uh, kids outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I assume with the essay contest, necessarily you don't have to be from Texas. No, to enter this. So no, you if don't. anybody's listening and want to, if your kids have never been on a whitetail hunt and and want to go on a on a really awesome trip over in the Texas Hill Country to a amazing ranch, the Double Draw Ranch. You know, um, we do this in conjunction with Mule Deer Foundation. So we usually pick the top essay for NWTF and then one for the Mule Deer Foundation and and um, and get to go on a. It's usually a three, four day hunt. Yeah. You know, and Mr. Gene's usually very generous in letting the kids shoot multiple whitetails. And, and usually there's an opportunity to harvest an exotic doe or something. You yeah. Know, not all the time, but usually. Yeah. And um, those have been really fun. I've been able to do those the last couple of years, go as, gui- as a guide. and and um, Yeah. And then some of the topics will basically be. Uh, and it's both for the uh, Mule Foundation and the NWTF. Uh, what uh, we had the kids to research: what is the NWTF, and uh, why is it good for uh, wildlife? Uh, what is the Jake's program, which is the youth program of the NWTF? Mm-hmm. Why is it good for kids, and why do you want to go uh, hunting on a double draw ranch? Same thing for the Mule Foundation. What's the uh, what is the MDF? Uh, why is it important for mule deer and other wildlife? Um, why uh, is the muleys program important, uh, and how does it benefit youth? And then um, why do you want to go hunting on a double draw ranch? And so that's basically just a easy topic, just a kind of where you can do a little bit of research on the organizations yeah. and and write about them, and then you know put some thought and into it, and just tell us why you want to, or why you're interested in coming out, or why you would like to, and you know to. Uh, we'll read through the essays and you know if you've really done your research and uh, put some uh, thought into it and some uh, some effort then you know really it's about two or three opportunities for and you can write either or if you want to uh, write both essays for the NWTF <laughs> and the MDF you increase your chances yeah yeah That's you right. know so uh, like I said just uh, you can uh, participate in that and wherever you are like yeah. I said we'll get more information on that as it draws near. Yep. Yeah, and if you got um, questions, you can reach out to me, Derek, at impactoutdoorspodcast.com, and I'll, and I'll get back with you and, and get you on the the email list for that when it comes out. We usually post that um, late summer, early fall, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So this will air probably at the end of May, and then um, um, then we'll have that out later later this year. So, and that hunt's usually in January, so yep. it's usually at the end of whitetail season, um, during the uh, antlerless season, so, um, but, uh, but yeah, man, so, well, dude, um, man, I'm so glad I met you at that meeting, I can't even remember what meeting it was that we were Some at, would, but, uh, yeah. um, I think Greg Aikens introduced me to you, and, and uh man we've been really good friends ever since and, yeah yeah and uh thanks for all you've done to help me out i mean you've helped you helped out with yeah. brigades every oh, year yeah. and, and um i love coming out and doing stuff with with our group and oh yeah you and um definitely help us kick that off you know yeah. big time it's so. it's been a lot of fun when everybody can just help each other out and try yep. to make an impact on these kids lives these days and um 
you know, because most of these kids that we're getting out, man, I mean, they're, they're never going to have an opportunity to go out and do, you know, what we're showing them and stuff. And, and hopefully it'll help them, you know, yeah. give them an, a, a better outlook on life. And, you know, maybe they don't have a dad in their life or, yeah. or you know, a single parent household or something and um, help them with, you know, a mentorship, you know, a budding relationship there with an adult figure. And, yeah. And um, that's really important to a lot of these kids and they don't even realize it. Yeah. So um, it's great work that you've been doing. And um, um, I appreciate you being on the show. Oh, glad to be here. Glad so, to be here. Yeah, it's been a good night to do it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we can't even cook dinner because we didn't bring anything to cook with because we thought we'd have power. And, Absolutely. And, uh, I guess we'll uh, eat tomorrow. So Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but anyway, but thanks for checking out this episode. And uh, let's go get one, one of them birds tomorrow. Yes, sir. So, All right, Terrence. Thanks a lot, bud. All right, thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode this week. We really uh, appreciate all the support we've had from our listeners and um, can't wait to bring you our, our next episode next week and, and uh, keep on producing some good conversations with some amazing people from all across the United States in the hunting and fishing industry. And and I hope that you know, you're able to share this with your friends and, and help us spread the word about the podcast and you know we're really looking to get this out there and, and uh, if you're on itunes listen to this please leave us a five-star review and share it like it hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to it on and uh, hit us up on our facebook page or our instagram page and especially if you have a guest that you'd like to see featured on the show you know we'll do our best to get a hold of them and, and get them on and um, you know really the time right now we're, we're in this coronavirus pandemic and uh hope that everybody's enjoying their time that they get with their families and, and loved ones and i know we're going to get through this and man i can't wait to get back out on the water with everybody this summer and, and go catch some some big fish and and uh, get back out in the woods and and uh, really kind of get back to normal so um praying for everybody and, and hope everybody's doing good out there and uh look forward to to bring you our next episode so thanks Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.